Hey everyone, uh, we will start shortly. Um, thank you for coming. And uh, I posted the paper that we will be discussing in the chat. So feel free to uh, check it out. And uh, we will start in four to five minutes. Hi, Auntie. How are you? Oh, yeah. And feel free to share the room with friends that you think are interested in rejuvenation, Alzheimer's. Uh, that's what um, this is about today. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting um, picture. Hi, Walter. Hello. <laughs> it worked. Everything is fine. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So I'm not going to see any slides, all right? I, I don't see anything. Uh, I'm putting up the slides uh, right now. I shared in the chat the paper. So if people okay. want, um, want to check it out in the meantime. And there it is. You see it? Okay. Yeah, it should work. Yeah, I see it now. So whenever I, I go down, are people going to see what I see or not? No. So like so it's right really... now, you see the, the slides moving or not? No, no. Uh, so it's really helpful if you say, oh, so I have are to we moving to the, the slide, next... right? So... Yeah, exactly. We're moving to the next slide. And if you, you see that it also counts the slides, so you can also say which slide number. Because yeah, if you okay. Click All right, good. Yeah, so I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Sure. A little complicated <laughs> to tell you the truth. But <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, um, there's other space, like Clubhouse was the first audio um, social media app. And there's Twitter spaces where one can do this. And, and on Reddit, they have it. But for this audio social media, the clubhouse still works the best, I think. And the recordings are good because uh, when you come and listen to the recording on clubhouse, the link to the um, presentation and also the links in the chat and the chat um, is still active. So it's almost the same experience, just you cannot ask questions. So that's why we kind of like it. And then Clubhouse is also, I think, the only one where you get the raw audio files. So we usually upload it then later on for people on YouTube and Spotify, just because there's never a time where everyone can come. It's impossible because um, some people are in Asia, some people are Katie's in Australia, then other people are in Europe, a lot of people are in Europe. So there's never a time for everyone. So we kind of think that then the recording is like a better experience on this app than on the others. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it's this app started really during COVID when everything was shut down. It started as like conversation, like people used to just have conversations here. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I'll hope you'll enjoy it. Um, so it's an interactive way of basically doing a small podcast recording kind of. Oops. Yeah. Yeah, we'll start in around one minute, everyone. So um, 
feel free to share with friends. It's an open room. Everyone can come. And um, yeah, everyone is welcome. It's about rejuvenation. Who doesn't want to live healthy or longer? It should be. Um, yeah. So, Walter, you also have a company, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I founded a company. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. I, I saw it. I can share also the company link in the chat if you would like. Or would you like, while we just talk a little bit before to have the website? You can mention the company. Usually, the university doesn't like it if I talk about the company, but you could say, if you want to say, yeah. you say it, you know, it's okay. Here we can do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's. No, no, I it. know until the university <laughs> finds out, and then. Uh, oh, they like, don't oh, like it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, then it's up to you. I can. No, no, you can mention it. You can mention it. I don't. Uh, you, you were gonna mention it, so mention it, uh, and I'll just. Yeah. You know, I'll, I can answer questions about it. I can, I just cannot make it part of my presentation. Okay. Then we will. We will mention it. It's interesting. Yeah, and you have a company, right? I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm non-tenure track, so. Um, so they don't they don't come after you. No, I right now I really don't get really paid. I'm still there officially, but I'm transitioning more and more away. Towards the company. Well, yeah. Um, Let's see. If and, it works. and how is the company doing? So the psycholo psychology assessment, or uh, that's what I started with, and then I also started a little bit of like I have one drug target and one repurposing of a uh, two repurposing of drug patents pending. I see. Also, it started mm -hmm. with that to finance the other research I wanted to do. Uh, that was the plan, and that's what's yeah, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, and then, and then I also consult for companies. Um, so yeah, a lot of work and F three kids. Oh, Katie's also here. Hi, Katie. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Denise. Meet Walter. We are about to start. It's perfect Hi. timing. Hi, I'm really excited about having. Professor Longo here. I've read his book and I'm a fan. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's great. I'm always happy when out of this rooms like longer collaboration or something starts. Sometimes this happens. I'm always happy when that happens. Okay, I think we can start. So um, welcome everyone to Science Society. I know people will see still keep coming in. Um, so yeah, feel free to share the room uh, with uh, friends and uh, we'll go from there. So um, before we start, uh, I want to introduce you to the guest speaker today. And, um, and first of all, Walter, thank you for going through the trouble, making the accounts, coming here, <laughs> going back and forth to get this to work. It worked out, so thank you. <laughs> We really appreciate. Oh, you're welcome. It. And um, yeah, so um, 
Um, Walter Longo, um, he's a professor of gerontology and biological sciences. Uh, he's a Etna Jones chair in gerontology. And he did his bachelor at the University of North Texas and then his PhD at UCLA. And he did his postdoctoral training at USC. And um, his research is um, mostly focused on cell biology, uh, regulation of aging, and multiple stress resistance systems. And he does he uses yeast and mammals as models. And he works also on um, Alzheimer's disease, cancer, and diabetes. Um, and um, he is also the director of the USC Longevity Institute. And he also has a company uh, that he founded, Prolon Fest. And I pinned the information about the company, his company, on top of the room. I will switch that once Walter starts with the presentation. I will switch it them to the slides and put the link to the company in the chat. Um, so welcome, Walter. And we oh, usually, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and usually we start with um, uh, a short kind of introduction interview, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, so how do you um, did you start? Like, when did it start that you were interested in following the path of becoming a scientist? Was this something like a childhood dream? Was it maybe a class you took or a book you read or something um, that happened that you kind of wanted to become a scientist? Thank you. Yeah, actually, uh, no, I was a musician um, and then... Um... And then they asked me to direct a marching band, and I didn't want to do that. So, uh, but I, I always wanted to study aging for some reason. And uh, so, in my second year in college, I, uh, as soon as I thought I was pushed away from the music program, um, I went to biochemistry, and uh, and I just thought chemistry and biology uh, would have been the right. Uh, combination to uh to study aging and longevity and that's all i've ever done since uh then which uh, is when i was uh, 19 years old yeah that's so interesting i feel do you think a lot of scientists were also mu musicians or still have the passion for music i feel like when i ask this question it's more than any other um you know art or um you know, passion people have is, I feel like music is the most prevalent. Do, do you think that's true? I don't know. Uh, I think there's, there are a lot of musicians in, in science. Um, so yeah, there's probably some the personality that, that is drawn towards uh, science is probably also drawn to music and, and arts in general. And um, yeah, so that's good. That's probably a good, um, a good uh, background to have, uh, um, you know, the, the arts background to go into science. Um, if not, if for no other reason, because it sort of makes you think different, right? So, um, and it's good to, to, to always start with, uh, you know, new ideas rather than, um, than maybe just expanding on old ideas. You know? Yeah, I agree. Maybe it's the creativity part. Um, 
yeah that's important and that you learn with music um, and yeah so you kind of um answered um already that you know how you then went to um choose the field you're in right now but um is there maybe like um uh, some background story about this uh, specific project was it or was it always really easy for you, your ideas for example to get funding um for the very creative ideas or groundbreaking ideas or was it um hard or yeah is there any story around the behind the curtains for for this um for the presentation you're giving today yeah no at the beginning i, I mean I, i i chose all the wrong things right so i chose aging and this is the early 90s and, and nobody studied aging in the early 90s and, and ucla it was uh, sort of viewed as a weird uh, science And then, um, you know, and then I chose, uh, I started working with yeast, uh, so microorganisms. And, and uh, so, which was another thing that, you know, lots of people looked uh, down upon because uh, it just viewed as uh, irrelevant to human uh, aging and longevity. And then I picked uh, starvation, right? So uh, not only microorganisms, but, but starving microorganisms, which people thought it was more even boring than microorganisms, right? So, so it was all all the wrong moves, but um, maybe because of that sort of, you know, musician or, or artist that type of background, I didn't care. And um, especially I came from the rock scene and in the rock scene, the idea was just play what you think you should play, right? Don't worry too much about uh, uh, what's, uh, what's fashionable out there. Yeah, so I think that uh, that allowed me to, to uh, combine all these things and, um, And uh, luckily, you know, the, the, the sort of the world turned towards aging and turned towards uh, uh, the genetics of aging and turned towards uh, fasting uh, in a way that we couldn't have predicted. But uh, so, so I think that, yeah, those were all good choices. Yes, I agree. You were way ahead of the curve. That's, that's so important also to then, yeah, be successful. And apparently you were... You per, like you were very persistent, so that's probably another feature that is important. Um, so I'm glad things worked out because uh, it's really important work, I think, to have like a good quality of life, also later in life. And um, so yeah, thank you for um, keeping the path, although nobody else cared <laughs> because now we can um we can like humanity can benefit from it so that's really wonderful thank you sure and um yeah so uh, the presentation for everyone is pinned on top of the room uh please click on it um to follow along the presentation and walter the stage is yours thank you yeah okay thanks uh, uh katarina Uh, so I'll uh, I'll just uh, announce the slide number. So I'll go from slide uh, one and my title slide to slide number two. And in slide number two is something that uh, Mate Cameron, a colleague of mine, sent me a few months ago. And basically, is showing the um, the risk factors uh, for um, smoking, alcohol, obesity, for cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease. And then if you go to slide three you see how these risk factors almost disappear 
when they're compared to uh, 30 years of aging. Right? So, so I think that um, you know, back uh, a long time ago, when when a bunch of us decided that we were going to look at the genetics of aging, uh, that was probably a good idea because uh, um, the, uh, the the power of, of, of aging on so many different diseases uh, and, and functions, right? So it's so clear and um, and massive. So if you go to uh, slide four. Um, then I always, um, I mean, I'm in the School of Gerontology of USC, and that's uh, one of the uh, oldest, probably the oldest in the world uh, dedicated to aging research. But uh, I always thought I'm more interested in, in youth than I'm interested in, in the mechanisms of how organisms get old, right? So I came up with a, with a new word, uh, which is juventology, right? So which is... Um, the study of, of youth you know, instead of the study of uh, getting old, the gerontology. And, um, and then another term that I have in the slide is health span, uh, the study of, of uh, how long can we stay healthy? I mean, we always hear about centenarians and people that make it to record longevity, but does it really matter uh, if you, you spend, as most Americans, uh, 30, 40, 50 years or more uh, on multiple uh, drugs with many drugs with multiple chronic diseases. So, um, so how do we um, get there? And one of the pillars that, um, that I base my work on is, is centenarians, right? So Madame Calmont in, in France um, still holds a record longevity um, over 122 years of age. And, um, and so journalists and everybody actually likes to, um, to see stories like this. Like she smoked until 117. She did not have a good diet. And, um, and so they basically use uh, examples like Madame Calmon to, uh, um, to uh, make a point that maybe all these, uh, all these uh, nutritional interventions are not um, that important. But uh, it turns out that uh, in centenarians, um, many of the centenarians we follow for example, Emma Morano, who I followed uh, for years, uh, um, had uh, six brothers and sisters. All of, all of them made it to over the age of 90. And, um, and so we know from, from uh, many of the centenarians that uh, they often have genetic advantages. So uh, Madame Calmont um, and, and many others can probably afford to do things that most, the great majority of people in the world cannot, uh, cannot afford, like smoking, for example or smoking and a bad diet. So clearly we know that um, these are, are gonna make your life shorter or much shorter. And, um, and so the, the slide number six um, is the title for the longevity diet. And then if you go to seven, I just wanna say a few words about proteins and animal proteins in the diet. And so if you look at it, the way it says GH, IGF-1, TOR, kinase, SSK, uh, these are, are, are the genes that we and, and others have identified to be at the center of acceleration of aging. And the, it happens to be proteins, and particularly the amino acids in animal protein, that activate these aging-accelerating genes. And, um, and so um, we, uh, if you go to slide number eight, uh, uh, we looked at the, um, the U.S., uh, uh, CDC database and, and ask the question, uh, what happens to people that have a low protein diet uh, before the age of 65 versus a high protein diet uh, 
before, before the age of 65. And so, and it turns out that the overall mortality risk is almost twice as much in those that have a high protein diet. And the cancer mortality risk is, is four times uh, higher in those that have a high protein diet. But this is not true for those that are 70, 80, 90 years old. And here you're already starting to see some, some complexity and, uh, and people like simple stories, but, uh, but in fact, uh, you know, this is just, uh, you know, the beginning of personalization of diet. And, and so we, we now think there's probably four or five different age, uh, stages of life where maybe where people should have four or five different, uh, type of diets. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to change your diet completely, but, you know, some tweaking of the diet is, seems to be very important to, uh, to stay healthy longer. So if you go to slide, and that was slide number nine. So if you go to slide number 10, now I talk about the longevity diet. And of course, uh, um, I'm not going to discuss all the reasons why we, we, we get to this diet, but, but this longevity diet is my book, uh, on the right. This longevity diet is mostly plant-based, uh, uh, vegan plus fish, maybe uh, two or three times a week, low protein until age 65, 70, moderate protein after, high levels of legume, whole grains, uh, vegetable, healthy fats, and um, high nourishment, uh, eating, what's called time-restricted eating, eating within 12 hours uh, a day, um, not much longer, not much shorter, so I say 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., uh, and if you're overweight, uh, my suggestion has been uh, eat probably breakfast and lunch or breakfast and dinner and then have a small snack uh, uh, for lunch or dinner instead of a major meal. And this is just if you're overweight or obese, uh, not if you're normal weight. And then, um, you know, what we pioneered is the periodic medically supervised, well, maybe not medically, but certainly, um, you know, supervised by a dietitian at least, uh, fasting mimicking diets. Uh, once every uh, one to six months. So we just finished multiple uh, clinical trials on diabetes. And it's, it's very effective in, in causing uh, drug reduction uh, if done once a month, but uh, um, we, we believe that um, the benefits will also occur if it was done less than once a month. Okay, so slide 11. Uh, this is a, not our study, a study by a group in Norway looking at life expectancy and nutrition and looking at millions of people in Europe, uh, China, the United States, and basically uh, we were happy to see, this just came out uh, um, six months ago, we were happy to see that in fact uh, we got it right. And so the legumes, the whole grains and the nuts come on top as the uh, those associated with the, the most life expectancy uh, extension. And, um, and so uh, compared to a Western diet, uh, having the right, longevity diet like uh, nutrition um, at age starting at age 20 is associated with 11 to 13 years of life expectancy increase and if it started at age 60 still eight to nine years um, of life expectancy increase so these are remarkable um, effects and we think that uh, if you combine it with all the other things that I just listed that uh, maybe um, the potential is in the 15 to 20 years of life expectancy uh, extension. Okay, slide 12. Um, so what about people that don't wanna change their diet? And, and so uh, I'm not gonna show it, but uh, uh, we, um, we uh, did a study where we gave mice uh, 
very bad, high-fat, high-calorie diet, and then we give them this low-calorie, low-sugar, low-protein, high-fat, plant-based, uh, five days a month diet, and then the rest of the time we let them eat this bad diet. And, um, and just five days a month of this, this fasting mimicking diet uh, was able, and this is slide 12, uh, was able to um, reverse uh, all the uh, bad effects of this high-calorie, high-fat diet. And now this is not to advertise having a bad diet, but, uh, but understanding that as we, know, as we saw for smoking, right? Uh, even after it was clear that smoking kills you, uh, half of the people or so continue to smoke, right? So this is a reality, no matter how bad uh, the habit or, or the, um, you know, the lifestyle is. Okay, so then um, the Alzheimer part, um, slide 13. So we finally, after about 10 years of working on this and, and a lot of people uh, collaborating with us, uh, uh, we looked at, uh, we published on the use of this fasting mimicking diet I just described in two different mouse models for Alzheimer's disease. Plus the, we showed the initial um, clinical data for um, the first 30 patients that enrolled in a clinical trial of uh, malcognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. And uh, this is Priya Rangan and Fleur Lobo uh, were the first authors uh, of this paper. Um, okay, so without going into the details, this is slide 14. Uh, this is showing you, um, you know, some of the things that we do, the, the testing that we do, we, this amazes that the mice have to figure out, you know, where the hole is so they, they can hide in it. And in um, slide 15, uh, again, without going to the details, um, the idea is that the, the mice now that they're receiving, that they have this, all these mutations that are causing early onset Alzheimer's disease, and they have cognitive decline because of it. If, uh, um, if we start the fasting-making diet, uh, cognitively, they do a lot better. They're able to uh, remember things better, be quicker uh, in learning, and, um, and use uh, the context that surrounds them to uh, make a decision on where to go. In slide 16, um, and, and now we're starting to see this, uh, you know, uh, recently a reviewer of one of my grants said, uh, you know, does this FMD does everything? He, he was, of course, was making fun of it, uh, or he was trying to, to, to downplay it, but... Uh, um, yeah, why does it do so many things, right? And, and probably, and in this case, in slide 16, I'm showing the effects on, on this beta amyloid that is accumulated in the brain. If you look on the left, where it says E4 FAD control, these are just the, the mice that have the mutation that cause uh, a cognitive decline. And on the right is the same mice, but now treated with the fast making diet. See, these, these dark spots are much lower, and this is... Um, the beta amyloid, this peptide, this junk that accumulates in the brain and is believed by many to be responsible or at least partly responsible for the, the dementia um, in people. And um, so this goes down and, and so does um, the, um, and this is in different type of mice, we see the same effect. And we see also the decrease of something called tau, uh, phosphorylated tau, and so, um, so now this fasting-making diet is able to um, improve cognition, re cognition reduce uh, this junk in the brain. And, um, and if you go to slide 18, um, you see some of the, you know, the, um, what I just said, the fasting-making diet cycles able to block A-beta. 
and improve uh, cognitive uh, impairment. So slide 19, and now we see that it's also causing neural stem cells to be turned on in the, uh, in the areas of the brain involved in, uh, in cognition. Um, and um, so, uh, and then slide 20, or slide 20 is just summarizing this. So the FMD reducing a beta, increasing the proliferating neural stem cells. So this, this type of cells that can give rise to new neurons. And then slide uh, 21, uh, now we're seeing also inflammation being reduced. This is a, a marker for microglia in this Alzheimer's uh, mice. And you see microglia is now lower, so it's less inflammatory cells after cycles of the fasting diet. And in slide 22 is just a summary of that. See the FMD reducing A-beta, reducing inflammation, increasing stem cells, reducing the, the, the microglia, toxicity and, and also the production of reactive oxygen species by the microglia. Um, so, so why does it do all these things? And, and we believe, and we have published lots of paper indicating that maybe starvation condition and refeeding condition together represented two opportunities. Opportunity number one was get rid of junk, right? So uh, pre-cancer cell, cancer cells, autoimmune cells, you know, uh, cells that are hyperinflammatory. Um, so we know that, for example, during development, the body is very, very good at eliminating damaged cells, right? And, and making sure that only the good ones go and, and are used to uh, form an embryo and then de cause the development of that embryo. So, so it, would, it would make a lot of sense that the body, even in an adult or in an old individual, can, can go through and, and look for junk and eliminate the junk. And in fact, more than that, it doesn't only eliminate it, it uses it as food, right? So now a, a cell or a cellular component can be eaten up uh, and used as fuel, right? So in, in the shrinking process, so, but to do that, you, get, you have to be shrinking, right? You can't you can be maintaining a normal diet. There's not enough calories to do that. So you're shrinking because you have no food coming from the outside, um, and so you're using the food on the inside, right? So then when the food comes back around, you have to re-expand. Uh, and, and we know this, you know, we know this also from human studies where um, Ansel Keys actually did this back in the, in the 50s and 60s. And, and people undergo semi-starvations, they shrink. And the heart, for example, can reach 41% smaller size compared to before the starvation. And then within about 20 weeks, that heart and all the organs re-expand. And so now we have lots of evidence suggesting that in this re-expansion moments or periods, uh, now these embryonic development uh, uh, pathways are turned back on. So now uh, why not? The, the body is using and we know this for sure in the mice, we, we still don't know if the same is true for people, but we suspect it is, right? So the body is using the same program that it, it was used to generate uh, the, the embryo and the organs in the first place to, to re-expand uh, these, um, these organs. So now slide 23, uh, clinical trial, slide 24. This is just uh, showing you the, the clinical trial on mild cognitive impaired uh, patients and early Alzheimer patient in Italy, and now almost complete the 40 patient enrollment has been completed. 
and now there's only a few that have to finish uh, the uh, the fasting making diet cycles. Uh, surprisingly, it's feasible even for very old uh, patients like uh, like these ones, and uh, most uh, uh, patients, but uh, not all, could complete the the, the cycles uh, of the fasting making diet, and uh, these are monthly cycles. So um, so it's looking uh, promising, and especially because it does not require. Uh, the patients to change their diet. And then slide 25, um, this is the human fasting making diet. And uh, so we've now done lots of trials. I mentioned the diabetes trial earlier, uh, but these are our fasting making diet trials and uh, five day fasting making diet, low calorie, low protein, low sugar, high fats, all plant-based. And slide 26, you see the effects on fasting glucose. Now it's has these differential effects, right? If you have normal, the patients that have normal fasting glucose, they stay there. And those who are pre-diabetic, they had a much larger drop and most of them move back to the uh, normal state. Uh, slide, slide 27, uh, IGF-1, this is uh, one of the markers for aging and age-related diseases, uh, including cancer. Uh, there's a drop in those that are they started with a normal level of IGF-1, but there's a much larger drop in those that were at risk for cancer uh, after three cycles of the fasting mimicking diet. And uh, C-reactive protein, so systemic inflammation, same. Nothing happens in those that have normal. This is slide 28. Uh, nothing happens in those that have normal CRP, but those that are at risk have high CRP, they have a much larger drop. Slide 29. Same for cholesterol. Again, this differential effect, normal and cholesterol above uh, 200, a much larger effect. And so, and this is the, the summary, uh, which is uh, uh, with chronological age, as the year go by, basically the biological age, so the status of the system, um, the, the system gets older biologically, and the disease risk, as I mentioned in my first slides, uh, goes way, way up. And, uh, and, the, and the everyday longevity diet, uh, plus the fasting mimicking diet, um, um, can uh, reduce the risk or, or incidence of uh, age-related diseases, including Alzheimer. Now, keep in mind, um, I just mentioned, you know, uh, fasting glucose, C-reactive protein, but both inflammation and diabetes are um, major risk factors for uh, Alzheimer. And so diabetics now, we know they have uh, about 75% increase in the chance of, uh, of developing Alzheimer. And so, um, and so I think we need to start looking at cognitive decline and dementia as not just brain disorders, but as systemic uh, uh, disorders that uh, you know, have a major aging component and a major uh, metabolic component. And so to treat them, I, I think we need to... Uh, uh, yes, of course, the drugs, the brain-specific drugs are, are very good. Uh, potentially, they haven't, they haven't succeeded yet, but eventually we will have some. But I think that um, the, um, the uh, effects on the system are as important, if not more important. And keep in mind that if we slow down aging by five years, we, uh, we will cut uh, Alzheimer by uh, five, uh, 50%, right? So... Um, so just a five-year um, postponement of the aging process will have a tremendous effect on, on Alzheimer and, and, and 
surprisingly very little effort i think has been put into uh, uh into um you know treating aging also for 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 cognition and cognitive decline and then just uh i already thanked um um the um uh, Fleur Lobo and, and Priya Rangan, they did most of the work on Alzheimer, and also my colleagues in Italy, Professor Odetti and uh, Nincioni and, um, and others that, um, that uh, did the clinical trial. And then um, Morgan Levine uh, uh, worked on the, uh, on the protein uh, study. Uh, so that's it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Walter, for this um, really wonderful presentation and for this really uh, interesting work. Um, it's, um, yeah, again, such an honor having you here and uh, thank you so much for sharing this. And, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, everyone, please, that have a question. I know Joyce is a big fan, she said, so please, Joyce, go ahead, ask your question. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I'm absolutely a big fan, and I recommend everyone to, to get his book. You, you do such a great job writing. You tell it so clearly, and I love your, your focus on so many different types of evidence, and and also love the fact that you're doing like what I plan to do, and you're donating your share of the company's profits to charity and research. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I, I have this very long story of recovering from chronic fatigue syndrome that I got in my 20s. And I became, you know, completely disabled. And I basically became sensitive to everything that I ate. And so it was a very long journey. Uh, but eventually, I figured out how to, to overcome my food sensitivities. And, and it was using heart rate data because there was a researcher from decades ago who discovered that there were heart rate effects of food sensitivity reactions. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was gonna say, I have a feeling, and this could be tested and I hope to help test it someday. And I hope maybe we can collaborate that the fasting mimicking diet, in addition to what you're discussing, it also reduces your sensitivities just simply by avoiding for a period of time. Because I, at a certain point, figured out that even the things that I didn't react to as much, I would become sensitive to over time. And if I took a break from them, it could kind of reset the system. Yeah, um, yeah, probably, <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, uh, certainly th that's a, a component. I agree with you. Um, and, and in fact, uh, you know, there was a paper years ago where um, they looked at rheumatoid arthritis and they, and they basically put people on a, you know, on a fasting, water-only fasting, and then a Mediterranean diet. And at least for a while, they improved, right? So, uh, so yeah, it is possible that part of the effect is just uh, taking a break uh, but also, we we published actually a paper on IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, and, and showed that there is a lot of uh, probably inflammatory components uh, um, and and uh, anti-inflammatory components. So the this FMD is affecting microbiota, is affecting the, the immune system, and um, and so I think altogether the absence of the antigen, if you will, plus the effects on the on the immune system and on the microbiota altogether are probably contributing to making people 
And now we have uh, several, three clinical trials on uh, IBD, two at Stanford and one, I think, the University of Miami. And uh, so hopefully at some point um, we will have clinical, uh, more clinical data on this. Yes, great. Thank you. Yeah, and, and actually, even though I would kind of like to do the FMD, I'm purposefully not doing it because I want to prove that I can get better without taking that kind of break. But anyway, I think it also may be worth looking into people who maybe don't do benefit as much and maybe they're not getting enough of a break of the, from the right, you know, antigens. Um, and also you might want to look into this heart rate um, as an indicator because, you know, lower resting heart rate is associated with um, benefits in terms of all-cause mortality and various conditions. And you might find that their resting heart rate is lowered after they do one of the FMD sessions. Um, Probably, yeah. And, and yeah. you might even find that uh, my company is coming out with an app that you can use to detect um, reactions to your, your heart rate reactions to foods while you're eating them, because hmm. some foods will cause it to go up while you're eating it and then go back down again after you finish chewing. And with now things like the Apple watch, you can see that very easily. And then you can, <laughs> yeah. So maybe I can get in touch with you in the back channel. Cause that would be sure. Let me send me some uh, papers. If there are papers on this. Great. Yeah. I hope we can connect. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, for, uh, Dr. Um, Moshanak, did, did you want, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Katerina. And, um, thank you, uh, Dr. Longo for this wonderful talk. And I'm just wondering based on what you're saying, Joyce, and speaking to this, do you have any data on, um, effects of this on heart rate variability? Um, no, um, no, we haven't, I mean, we, we measure heart rate in, in the clinical trials, but um, I don't remember anything sticking out, uh, but we don't do much during that's a, that's a, that's a issue. We do it mostly, um, after, so we're looking uh, at what happens, let's say five to seven days after three cycles. So by then, you know, the acute effects will be gone. So, so then we've never done that, right? So we've never, we never monitor the heart rate during. It's and not that, the heart rate, very, it's the heart rate variability, yeah. which is a, an indicator of health and, you know, resiliency. Oh, no, I thought you say heart rate. No, no, heart rate variability. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We haven't looked at, uh, at the variability. It would be very interesting, especially based on what Joyce is saying, to look to see how heart rate variability might be affected um, because that's expressing how well the body, the heart, is able to tolerate stress. Yeah, but that's um, what I was saying, right? So we've yeah. never measured anything acutely, right? So we always measure it five days after that by then you know the the acute effects have be gone right so so yeah so we've never done that well how, however if it did lower your sensitivity and sort of the stress level in your body it might show up five days later 
both perhaps in better heart rate variability and lower heart rate, perhaps. That's yeah, what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, I don't know much about uh, heart rate variability, but uh, we you can, might want to uh, check it out. It at... might be a very nice um, indicator or a good uh, correlation factor to see the uh, long-term effects of this. Yeah, so heart rate variability it refers to uh, uh, monitoring for how long. Well, they usually do it. They can do it like for a thirty-second spell, and 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 it's supposed to be higher because it's sort of reflecting your body um, having this correlation where your heart rate um, changes with your breath, with your breathing right. pattern. Yeah, so for so in thirty seconds they look at how variable uh, it is. Yeah, is that is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. And there's also, high heart rate variability also... is a good sign of stress tolerance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And if it's low, it's, it means you're more stressed. And I think it's sort of correlated with heart rate itself, but um, it, it is somewhat different. Yeah, I think there was so. A... So the variability is it should be based on 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 the respiration. Uh, uh, yeah. Rhythm. Or... That's part of it, but they actually do kind of complicated frequency analyses because they'll look at huh. short-term changes, some of which is related to breathing, and then they look at other patterns too. They they get into very complex, um, you know, analyses. <laughs> and who's a, who's a who's a good scientist that, that that specializes in this? There's there are quite a lot of peer-reviewed papers on HRV you can check out. Yeah, yeah and yeah. in fact. Pretty much most diseases, if you look, you'll find some studies on heart rate variability. It's It's been very uh, common. Yeah, I want, yeah, I think you, in the presentation, you mentioned pre-diabetes. And I remember that there came a paper out uh, this year uh, that showed direct link uh, between diabetes and pre-diabetes and cardiovascular uh, disease. I'm not sure about the exact heart date, uh, heart rates, frequency, but um, they showed like um, links. But I would have to look it up. I read it this year. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but know, since this is the interesting part. It seems like this heart rate variability is linked to potentially some of the inflammatory responses to food, right? So that's a part that I think is very, very interesting. Or maybe not just inflammatory, but maybe also just the type of food you eat and the calories you take in. So, so yeah, so it'd be yeah. definitely worth it because it's so easy to measure, right? Uh, and eventually, like you said, there could be apps that, that do that for you and analyze it for you. So that would be very interesting. Yeah, since it kind of the um, diabetes state seemed to have an effect, maybe after also a few days, you should see an effect, I guess you would have to monitor what the person's state is and then change the diet and then maybe, you know, you would have to do it in each person or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's an indicator of stress. But I personally think the resting heart rate is a simpler thing to use and perhaps just as good. And that's just my own view. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Denise, Katie, Dr. Shah, do you have a question? Yeah, go ahead. Katie and Dr. Shah first, if you please. Go ahead, Denise. So 
first of all, thank you, Professor Longo, for this amazing presentation. I was curious if you could speak to if there were any observations on the role of apoptosis in this entire process. Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, of course, we only know from mouse studies, but um, clearly, for example, in the um, multiple sclerosis work that we did, apoptosis was uh, was high and so is in cancer. And, um, and so, yeah, it would make sense that if fasting triggers this uh, cleanup process of damaged cells, that apoptosis would be... Uh, high in multiple systems and and that's what we see um so so yes and also we had done it we actually um had done this this um a mix um, uh, studies where we looked at blood from people that are we think uh, have uh, anti-aging uh, genes and then uh, we took epi human epithelial cells and we put them in the sort of like the blood that would uh, mimic the the fasting response, let's say, right? And then we damage those cells, and sure enough, um, the apoptosis went way up. So meaning that by having low IGF-1, the, the marker the, uh, that I showed earlier, by having low IGF-1, which is driven down also by fasting, the um, the apoptosis was much more likely to occur uh, you know, setting up uh, really a, a, um, a protective measures against cancer. So if you get damaged, much more e you get um, killed much more easily. And, um, and, uh, and that's probably why even just, let's say, five days periodically, um, if, the, if, it, if it's used uh, to clean up lots of damaged components, can be very beneficial. That is certainly what I thought you were going to say. And for for those who are not familiar with the term, it just means planned cell death. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I can go ahead. Uh, so thank you so much, Walter. That was a wonderful talk. And by considering the difference between intermittent fasting and calorie restriction, as well as the duration that you just mentioned. I was just wondering what specific interleukins you ended up with that it can play a role. Also, you just mentioned about the IGF factors, um, I mean, IGF-1 factor. However, we know about the role of the IGF-1 in a post uh, kind of synaptic scaffolding protein. And uh, somehow they have a positive uh, impact uh, that was one part that I wanted to ask you. Another part that was about the lipid, uh, kind of anti-inflammatory lipid in the brain. And did you end up with any kind of finding or not? Yeah, so yeah, IGF-1, I think it's very similar to insulin, right? So, so insulin is obviously a, a good uh, uh, factor uh, but then too much insulin all the time, now you get insulin resistance. And, and IGF-1 uh, clearly has pro-proliferative uh, effects, um, effects in, in, in uh, um, you know, memory uh, formation and uh, lots of positive effects, but uh, we have a ton of IGF-1 all the time. 
and also it's endocrine versus paracrine, autocrine, IGF-1. So uh, we think that by having lots of circulating IGF-1, which is driven up by, by protein levels and lots of food, now you're setting up all these receptors to become more resistant. And eventually when you do try to use, uh, let's say in the brain or, or elsewhere, the local IGF-1, uh, they may be working less effectively uh, just as we see for the similar, uh, you know, insulin and insulin receptor couple. And uh, fats, I mean, obviously during during uh, fasting, prolonged fasting, you have lots of fatty acids and lots of uh, ketone bodies, uh, including lots of ketone bodies in the brain. And, uh, and, and most people don't know that ketone bodies are also generated uh, not only by the liver, uh, but also by the by the astrocytes in the brain, right? So now we're looking at that. And um, uh, so there's lots of evidence now that some of these fatty acids and ketone bodies are promoting, uh, tr- stimulating stem cells to, to activate and start proliferating. So a number of papers coming out and uh, by other groups. And uh, so it'd be interesting to, to know which fatty acids are specifically um, in, involved in improving, um, in, in activating stem cell, uh, um, in, in the, in the brain and elsewhere. And uh, what kind of pro-inflammatory effect or, uh, did you just came up with any kind of interleukin get involved during your test? Interleukin, uh, we're seeing a mixed, uh, a mixed message and we're starting to see uh, what potentially we call inflammatory regeneration, like the TNF and the, in, the different interleukins seem to be, uh, and maybe that, that's, that was the role of lots of these, inter, uh, lots of these inflammatory factors uh, to build, to rebuild, right? And in the right, in the conditions where they cannot rebuild, they, they cause damage, right? But, but uh, it's an interesting possibility, right? That uh, a lot of these uh, in, in pro-inflammatory factors are actually, uh, sort of in an aborted regenerative uh, status, right? They're, they're trying to do something which is not allowed. That's what we saw in our IBD work. And we're starting to see also uh, some of these in our, uh, in our Alzheimer work, uh, where the, uh, the FMD, some of these, these factors seem to be elevated and not reducing the FMD. And we suspect that maybe they're involved in, uh, in, uh, in this, um, uh, proliferative regenerative effects and what region of the brain had the more high concentration i forgot but there were some of these inflammatory factors that were actually higher um and not lower right so so in 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 um yes yeah, so I, I, i'll have to look at the paper again but it's in the paper and and i remember we had a long discussion when we published our inflammatory bowel disease paper because the reviewers were saying well you have TNF alpha that is much higher. Um, you know, how do you explain this? And there was one of the interleukins uh, uh, that was much higher. And um, and then we started reading, and we realized that they were both central in uh, in the regenerative process of the gut. Yeah. Thank you so much. But uh, I mean, bottom line, based upon whatever you mentioned, uh, you refer mostly to the astrocyte, not, for example, concentration of the dendrocyte, right? Uh, the the astrocytes, what's your question? So you refer to the astrocytes. And when I just asked my question specifically about the IGF-1, 
not about the concentration of the IGF-1 or the enteritic cell in relation with the IGF-1. Yeah, the the astrocytes, I just mentioned them because they make uh, um, ketone bodies and astrocytes are also elevated in, in, in the our Alzheimer model. And, and I think um, they were reduced by the FMD, but I, I didn't understand your question still in regards to IGF-1. Um, so, so what specifically is your question on IGF-1 and astrocytes? I think I, I, I got my answer and I'm because we don't have that much time, I'm passing the mic to the next person and thank you so much for your answer. Sure. Thank you. Katie, did you have a question? Thank you. Hi, it's Katie speaking. Um, thank you so much, Katerina, as always, for putting together such an amazing discussion. And thank you so much, Dr. Longo. Really fascinating um, research that you're doing. Um, obviously, you know, really re well respected in your field. Um, and just encourage everyone to, you can also save the papers that are put in the chat, um, as well as the Google um, presentation that's at the top. Um, okay. Fascinating research. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, <laughs> I'm sure most of the others on the stage know where I'm going to go with this. Um, as someone who is, I'm a scientist myself, um, and we know that COVID is producing a lot of inflammation um, all over the body, um, including in the brain, and there is evidence of cognitive decline, dysfunction, um, and Alzheimer's type signals that I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of the literature around that um, as someone who contracted COVID and um, has long COVID as well, you know, many of us have elevated CRP markers. Mine were up for over 18 months. Um, and I certainly found that um, adjusting my diet, I don't like to call it diet, but the foods that I ate um, made such a difference just as Joyce, um, you know, shared with her experience with her illness as well um, with someone who never had food sensitivities before. Um, so I'm just wondering, are you, um, do you see any potential for, you know, looking into this for COVID patients and how it might help them, particularly when it comes to the neurodegenerative decline. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I think uh, so COVID in a sense is sort of the perfect, uh, in long COVID is the perfect target for the fasting making diet, right? Because, uh, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the effects are, are seem to be related to inflammation and um, and the toxicity seem to go along with old age and age-related diseases, right? So, yeah, we would love to do it. So far, nobody has approached us to um, to run a trial, but we would love to. If a clinic was busy uh, seeing patients with long COVID, uh, a we would love to do it, and B, I think I would be very optimistic that we would see uh, improvements, just because so many of the things that. Um, may go wrong with COVID uh, are, uh, are um, you know, um, potentially reset by the by the fasting uh, fasting making diet periods. Hi, it's Katie. Thank you so much. Um, 
if you can or Katarina can put us in touch, um, myself and Dennis in particular are really involved with the long COVID community. We have patients all over the world um, that I'm sure would be interested. Um, and I'm also working with different researchers um, and universities and labs. So I can certainly um, get involved and, you know, even direct you into the discussions that you should be having with other people. Um, sure. Interestingly, I've been, I've been recommended to go on a more keto diet um, and as someone who was you know plant-based vegetarian for half my life um, yeah yeah it's, it's interesting so keto it's, I mean you know my, my uh, problem with keto is that it it may be tricking a little bit the body the body or, or pushing the body in sort of a, a confused state you know so on one side it's a fasting response on the other side all the calories are there right so so I think that, like, like we see, we do a lot of work in, in cancer, and we're now looking at keto versus um, the, the fasting and fasting-making diet. And I, the, the concern with the keto is that you're not going to get the full um, you know, shrinking re-expansion effect, right? Because if you have all the calories that you need, there is no reason to shrink. And so if there is no reason to shrink, the, the white blood cells and lots of other uh, immune cells um, may not need to uh, undergo a reset. And that's what we see now very, very clearly. We and a number of other labs in mice, but we're starting to see the same evidence in, in people when we do clinical trial. Uh, so big drop in, in white blood cells, a big drop in, in, uh, in neutrophils, uh, but some other cell type actually go up. So, so, um, so yeah, I think that... Um, that is uh, uh, definitely a, a um, an interesting um, uh, set of studies to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Katie, for asking. Go ahead. Did you want to follow up? Go ahead, please. Uh, I was just going to say thank you very much, and I hope we can be in touch. That's all. Thank you. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the whole time about Katie that she would probably like to ask this question and uh, welcome Elizabeth and before um, the, the question Walter uh, do you have around three more minutes or so yeah that's fine okay welcome Elizabeth Thanks. go ahead is the question about uh, the keto diet more related to advanced glycation end products I mean how much fruit can you safely eat in one meal before you're you raise your advanced glycation end products, and isn't that a major component in inflammation? Well, uh, advanced glycation end products um, are um, accumulated probably slowly, and um, and they they do contribute to inflammation, but uh, I don't think they're central for inflammation, and and they. Um, the ketogenic diet, I think that um, depending on what it is, right? I mean, there's different type of ketogenic diet, but um, doesn't it doesn't necessarily have a big effect on on, on average glucose levels? It could have a, a small effect, but not necessarily a big one. Um, and some ketogenic diets do if they're more extreme, but some don't. Um, so so yeah, for for advanced glycation in products. Uh, uh, you would need to keep uh, uh, glucose levels lower, and um, and I probably would to do that. I will adopt the longevity diet plus the fasting making diet. Uh, 
in both of those were clearly shown to have long-term effects on, uh, um, on uh, glycemia, insulin, but also leptin. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's very clear um, for both the longevity diet and, and the fasting-making diet. For the ketogenic diet, I think it's uh, um, much less clear. And again, it's not just about forming the advanced glycation and products, but it's also about getting rid of them, right? So uh, if you don't have a, a, a shrinking opportunity, a reset opportunity with the ketogenic diet, maybe the program uh, is going to let lots of these um, uh, damage uh, components uh, uh, continue to, to be around, right? So, uh, I mean, yeah, of course, we don't know everything about the ketogenic diet and what it can do, but uh, uh, certainly those, those are some of the, the limitations that we see uh, and not surprisingly, for example, with cancer, with the ketogenic diet, we see some cancers that are killed by the ketogenic diet and some cancers that are helped by the ketogenic diet, right? So uh, depending on, on uh, the type of cancer cells, whether they can use, uh, you know, fatty acids and ketone bodies or whether it's killed by fatty acids and ketone bodies. Yeah, thank you so much for um, the questions and for um, your answers, Walter, and um, this wonderful presentation and taking this time for um, discussing this. Um, let me know if it's okay to write introduction emails and then <clears throat> for Joyce and Katie and then... Um, sure. Yeah, and then we can you you guys can <laughs> um, can go you ahead. You can take it from there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, this was such an interesting discussion. Thank you so much, everyone. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, thank you, Walter. I know okay. it was a, it was a hassle to get this to work, but and, uh, I don't know. I I thought it was a really interesting discussion. So thank you. We really oh, thanks, thanks. I okay. Say, I was just gonna say you can find. Uh, Professor Longo interviewed often on podcasts, so you can hear more from him. <laughs> I want to look for his latest one because I, I just love hearing all his insights. Anyway, thanks. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Um, yeah, I shared the, your website also in the chat. Please, everyone, check it out and the company website and uh, yeah, the paper. So, yeah, in my foundation, right? So uh, there's a foundation uh, clinic in Los Angeles. If anybody's interested, uh, uh, they also do telemedicine. So, so they, um, you know, they try to help as many people as possible, whether they can afford it or not. Yet. Oh wow, that's wonderful! Is is everything maybe on the Wikipedia altogether? I'm not sure. I haven't <laughs> checked the Wikipedia, but uh, yeah, the foundation is called Create Cures. Um, and that's in Los Angeles, and that's easy to find. CreateCures.org, yeah. Great, wonderful. Um, yeah, so we really appreciate it. You must be very busy, so we will let you get back yeah, to Yeah, sounds good. Life. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank bye, you so bye, much. Bye. Bye. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure to write an email, and we have another room tomorrow um, if people are interested uh, will be with Dr. Butson and he will talk about his consciousness model as a memory system um, 
and then we'll have next week I've built I'm going to be traveling so we only have two rooms um, on Wednesday with Dr. Yang about a 3D camera um, that um, learned um, like a, a really interesting 3D camera new hardware that uh, uses some learning to like over time become better it's it's a really cool new technology and then dr han he will talk about um, psychopathology dna methylation and he made an index time to death uh, based on the methylation uh, data he collected um, so yeah i think it will be really interesting uh, so I hope to hear you all back soon and thank you also Dr. Roshanak. I know it's in the middle of the night for you and you still came so I really appreciate that and everyone thank you. Thank you Katerina this has been great. Wonderful okay I'll close the room in three two one bye everyone thank you. Thank you. Bye thank you.